Now, when the founders of the Constitution put this together, it was this dialogue was to be modeled after the speech from the throne from the monarch in the United Kingdom. Now, in our Constitution, it doesn't specify the address's form, frequency, or depth. And in fact, all presidents have given a State of the Union address, but of course they've been done in hand by over radio and now on television. And usually in the State of the Union, if you don't know, the president traditionally outlines what has happened in the past year and then speaks of the administration's uh, pursuits in the year to come. Now that's what I want to do today, but there's some guidelines according to the Constitution and according to the precedent that was set by the President. The President spoke for 58 minutes on Tuesday night. I will use my time wisely. Of course, after the President speaks, the opposition party comes up and gives a response to the President's address. We have asked uh, Stan Free, one of our deacons, after the message to give a deacon response to what I'm going to say. And just in case, as you know, according to the Constitution, just in case anything catastrophic was to happen here at the church, our deacon chairman, Chuck Salberg, has been placed on an undisclosed golf course in South Carolina to make sure that the line of succession continues on. So if anything does happen this Sunday and I am unable to continue on and the line of succession is not able to be done, Chuck Salberg will be bringing the message next Sunday. So you can be praying for him. The other thing we see from Tuesday's precedented uh, uh, announcement or uh, address that was given is, and this is what I like, when the president got to his podium, he got a standing ovation. Thanks, John. I heard that John laughed. And then during his speech, he got 60 interruptions of applause. I will expect the same. Uh, you guys are pathetic. All right. Now, I've got to admit something to you. When you put a message together like this, many of you know, and if you're a visitor here today, this is not a normal message that I'm going to preach. Usually we look to a text and we dig through the text. I am not going to do that this morning. There are Bible verses and there's a particular text I'll be dealing with today, but not dealing with it like I do in normal times. My concern is with messages like this, if we do a constant diet of them, it begins to allow the source of a message to come from a man instead of the Word of God. And our desire is that every time we get up and preach, that the Word of God is proclaimed. And I want to make sure that you understand that if you're visiting with us this morning. You see, if we desire to be a church that God uh, wants us to be, there are some things that we must do. I will tell you, Village Bible Church is a strong, vibrant, and healthy church. It is a church that is doing many great things for God. But sadly in our country, this is not the norm. We live in a society that makes it difficult to be able to do church and to make churches thrive. I found some uh, neat statistics that uh, speak about this epidemic in our lives today. It says, first of all, 1,400 pastors will leave the ministry this month in America. 1,400 only 15% of churches in the United States at this time are growing, and just 2.2% of those are growing at a rate of 10% or more. That should be an encouragement to us. We are within that 10%. We're growing at a rate of about 20% every year, and uh, so we would be in that 2.2%. In the last five years, since 2001, 10,000 churches in America have disappeared. They've closed up. In, a, in the Midwest here, 25% of all people in the Midwest attend church on a Sunday morning. That means 75% are at home. 
which adds up to nearly 100 million unchurched Americans right now in our day. And we talk about giving as being a source of being able to understand the strength of any congregation. And we are told that 85% of evangelicals donate to their local church. They give, but only at a level of 1.5% of their income. 20-25% to of evangelicals say they read their Bibles consistently. Only 60% of evangelical Christians say they are deeply committed to their faith. 25% of evangelicals say they have a place to serve in their local church. Less than 60% of evangelicals say that the Bible, listen to this, is totally accurate and true. That's 60% of evangelical Christians, according to the Barna study group. Just one-third of church attenders believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others. 26% of evangelical Christians believe that salvation can be earned and is not a free gift from God. And finally, one out of four evangelical church attenders would label themselves as a church hopper. It is tough, even in the evangelical world, to be a church. The reason why is we live in a day where Christians talk a big game. They talk that they're going to be the greatest, but then they never show up on game day. Christians who are more concerned about their image in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces than they are concerned about the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what that means to you and I as believers. What is a church to do in a world like this? What are we as Christians to do? I want to share a thought with you, and I have taken it from someone very popular. In fact, it comes from the speech that was given on Tuesday, but I have changed it a little bit, so let me play president for a while with an evangelical spin. It is my distinct honor and grand privilege to speak to you today about the state of our church. We as a church have been brought together at a defining hour where decisions are hard and courage is needed. We enter the year 2007 with large endeavors underway and others that are ours to begin. And all of this much is going to be asked of you. We must exhibit faith so that we may exhibit or may face difficult challenges and the attacks from our determined enemy, the devil, and the wisdom to face those challenges in unity. Now some in this room are new to our church, and I heartily welcome you all. It's our heart's desire that you would feel at welcome here at Village Bible. Now, while this church continues to grow and to change, we still at Village are driven by the same responsibilities and the same goals. We have a strong conviction that is born out of the Holy Scriptures that guides each of us as Christians. And to that, we must stay faithful. We are also called to hold to the same standards and to serve the same God and all of His good purposes to extend this church's ministry and prosperity, to invest God's money wisely, to be a light in this community and throughout the world, to be a place where people find God's answer to their problems, to raise up future generations in the fear of the Lord, to guard against all evil, and to continue to teach and train you, the faithful, who have been given in the charge of the great commandment and the great commission. Wouldn't that be great if our president was able to speak like that? That is the charge to the church. 
But how are we to accomplish that this morning? How are we as Village Bible Church continue to grow at the rate that we are, but growing in a way that is spiritually glorifying to God? I want to look at what we can do as a church. Because if we look to what American churches are doing, we will see that American churches are no longer the change agent that they used to be. In fact, our churches are more like lobbying groups. Instead of being places of prayer, our churches have become places of programs. Instead of places that once preached the importance of obedience, we preach the importance of organizational charts and policies. I am happy to say that Village Bible Church is not that kind of church. Well, I've been attending this church now for 18 years, since I was in junior high. I can tell you, as I told the people at the annual meeting on Friday, I have never been more honored to be a part of a body of Christ than I am today. The church is strong, it's healthy, it is unified. And I will tell you, today is a day where God is going to call us to greater things as a church. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. I want to speak about where the elders believe the church is going but also where we've been in the past. So let's look to our first point this morning. The first thing we need to understand, if we want to be the church that God has called us to be, we must remember the experiences of the past year. We must remember the experiences of the past year. Now when one looks back to 2006, we will see that our church was very busy doing a lot of things. But remember that just because we're busy doesn't mean that we're healthy, nor does it mean we're accomplishing the goals that God has for us. Don't ever view programs as an equal standing as progress for the gospel. So with the, what I see as important in our church are five experiences that we've had as a church, and I want to look at them quickly this morning. In 2006, we experienced five things. The first one is we experienced God's grace. We experience God's grace. In 2006, we had the pleasure of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We saw people get baptized. We have seen many of you in this place find victory over sin. We've all experienced the forgiveness of sin. We've seen many take major steps towards Christ's likeness. And we have seen God answer prayer. We have been experiencing the grace of God. Corporately, we've experienced a health and a unity that is unparalleled to anything in the history of this church. That is not because we're happy to be with people, but it's because of God, who is the spirit of peace that He gives us. Above all, we have seen God and His goodness in major facets of our lives. We've experienced God's grace in the help in our marriages, in raising our children, in resolving of conflict. God has been with us as a church every step of the way. We can never forget that we do not deserve the grace of Almighty God. But because of His love, because of His mercy, He has poured out His love to meet every one of our spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Without the faithfulness of God, we will never, we will never, no never, achieve anything of value for our Father. Next we see we experience growth. Not only God's grace, but growth. This past year has been one of great spiritual growth as a body. Again, this is a part of the grace that God gives. It is exciting to see many of you grow in your walk with God to make scripture reading and, and devotion times a major priority in your life. 
to see the maturing and the producing of spiritual fruit in your lives. And I will tell you that it's because of this growth spiritually that this, that this church has grown numerically. We've continued to see our attendance records broken every month, month after month. More people attend here now than ever before. In fact, since 2005, there are now 150 more people worshiping with us than a full year ago. But I will tell you, we're not here just to grow a large audience. We are here wanting to see people join our family to be able to pursue what they believe God has called them to. And that's why I'm excited to say that now we have people, more people now than ever, joining our membership to the church. We have 20-some members or attenders today that are going to take the membership class this afternoon to join or to see more about the church and possibly join. We've seen growth in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes. Our children's ministry is busting at the seams. Even because of this growth, we've had the opportunity to add Scott Cap to help come and help us equip the saints for the works of service as our equipping pastor. There's no doubt that God has given us a year of growth. Next, we see that we've experienced giving. We've experienced giving. Now, this has been amazing to see in the last year and a half. Again, this is the faithfulness of God and the obedience of His people. In the past year, we as a church have seen unprecedented giving to this local church. Now, please understand, to me, it's not about the money. But it's about God moving in the hearts of His people. God moving in you to sacrificially give to the ministry of the Lord. Because of this giving, we've been able to have the privilege of adding six new missionaries to our church family. Now we are sharing the gospel to greater parts of the world than ever before. It was our desire to continue to strengthen and to pursue worldwide missions like never before. And that's why we hold missions conferences like we did last week. This giving enabled us last year around Easter to give 7,000 books to every home in Sugar Grove and the surrounding communities that contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. This giving provides for our staff and the numerous ministries that edify the saints and evangelize the lost. This giving has allowed us to have one-third of our total building project have already been collected so that we can this week begin the building that we believe will help transform lives. I'm pleased to say that in the year 2006, the people in this place gave out of sacrifice in their hearts almost $1 million to the kingdom of God. Praise God. If there's a great place for an amen, that's where it's at. Praise God. We have experienced giving in this place. Well, fourthly, we see that it wasn't all good. We experienced grief. There was times of grief. Now, this past year was one of great grief for many of you. Many of you have struggled, whether it's because of grievous sin that you've faced in your life. Maybe it's a continued emphasis of trials in your life in regards to your marriages or your families. Maybe it was because of health struggles as we continue to pray for many who are struggling with cancer and other debilitating diseases. We had some in our place that lost loved ones in the year 2006. We had at times years of great grief, uh, times of great grief in this last year. But I'm reminded of Peter's words in 1 Peter uh, 1, 6 through 8. This is what he says about that times of grief. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have to have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. 
Peter, why did these happen? He says in verse 7, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And listen to what he says, And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We look back to a year of grief. And we do not point our finger at God. We do not say, God, why do you allow things like this? But we with an expressible and glorious joy praise God. Because those trials that we face, as numerous and as profound as they may be, produce in us a Christ-likeness like nothing we've ever seen before. But why does He allow all that to happen? The final thing that we experienced in the past year was glory. God's glory. I will tell you, God is passionate about His glory. And God uses the events in the life of a Christian and the life of the church to gain Himself glory. If we desire to be a church in the year 2007 that goes and does greater works of righteousness, then we must have a sole purpose of pursuing God and His glory. Our only desire, our only claim should be that no matter the trials we face, no matter the great times of excitement that we have, that we do just as Paul said to do in 1 Corinthians 10.31, that whether we eat or drink, that we do all things to the glory of God. What does that mean for us as a church? That when we hold babies in the nursery, when we lead the Sunday school class for children, when we help in the youth group, when we greet the people as they come in, when we preach the Word, when we worship in prayer and song, when we meet in small groups, when we reach the lost, when we give back to the Lord, when we hold a cup of coffee in fellowship with our friends, that we do all of that to the glory of our God in heaven. Let the world see Village Bible Church as a church that pursues the glory of God first and foremost. But I will tell you, remembering what has happened in the past year and even the great things that have happened, we've had great things happen as a church. It's not good enough to live in the past. That's the difference between a Cubs fan and a Sox fan. A Cubs fan... uh, There's some pagans out there we need to pray for. The Cubs fans... The Cubs fans look to the new year, and they say it's going to be a great year. The Sox fans say, well, look what we did a couple of years ago. Who cares what happened in the past? I, I, it comes so easily. I don't know why it does, but... But you sin, I heard that. I don't think anybody talked during the President's address. But you know what? As funny as that may be, we need to be very careful that we do not live in the past. There are great things that God has done, but if we keep looking to the past, we will live in that past. And we'll talk about the good old days. I will tell you, our best days are yet to come. And we are to look forward with great excitement about what our God is going to do. Well, that's what I want to look at next. Because once we've remembered, then we need to recognize the essentials recognize the essentials that are needed in the present year. If you and I desire for a church that does great things for God in the year 2007, there must be a greater level of obedience, a greater level of pursuit when it comes to being a part of this body, being a part of the family of God. But where do we turn for that as an example? I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
we're going to look at a very famous passage. And again, I'm not going to sit there and bring out all the depth of the passage. I'll be doing that in a couple months in another series that I'm going to be doing. But I just want to look, just from uh, just a very casual reading, what components were a part of this church in the book of Acts. You know, our society says, go find the biggest church and find out what they're doing. And there are great churches that are drawing thousands of people that are doing wonderful things. But I do not want to copy a copy. I want to go to the original. And I want to find out what God has called Village, excuse me, Village Bible Church to be a part of. And we see a couple things. Because when we look at this, we see that we've got some areas of growth still in the year to come. Look at verses 41 through 47. It says this, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's stop there this morning. If we want to look at the pattern that we are given by the book of Acts, there are some things that we see that they were doing with great excellence that we as a church can do better at. And for the course of time, I want to go through these quickly. We see in our text, if you look, that the teaching and preaching of the Word of God was huge in this church. Fellowship and prayer, the giving that others would would not be in want. We see a continual devotion to praising God in the temple courts. We see them enjoying the favor of God's people. And we see out of that came a powerful witness and outreach. So how are we as a church to follow in the footsteps of the church in Acts? Well, we need to be a more effective church in some key areas. The first area is we need more compassion for the saints. We need more compassion for the saints. If we desire to be a church that is doing what the book of Acts church did, then one of our greatest tools that we have as an outreach is to show the world that we love one another. They will know that we are Christians by our love. The greatest outreach we can do is not handing a track out to someone, but that they can see that Village Bible Church is a church that loves one another. That's easy to do. It's hard to live out and it's hard to begin to do in the sense of loving and putting yourself lower than someone else. But God commands it and He says that as that comes, it produces something of greatness. Look at verse 44 and 45. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. What did they do? They sold their possessions and goods that they gave to anyone as he had need. The picture here is the three musketeers. One, uh, all for one, and one for all. In the book of Acts, there were not haves and have-nots in the church. There was equality. People were serving one another. There was great compassion and great love for the people of God. I want you to look around this room for a moment, and I want you to ask this question. Look around to the people in this place, and I want you to ask the question, Do I love these people? Do I love them? Do I care for them? Do I pray for them? Do I give to them? Do I support them? Do I encourage them? Do I mentor them? 
am I a lover of the people of God? I know there's a lot of new faces in this church, but we need to be a church that continues to grow in our love for one another. If we don't, I don't care how big the area around us grows, this church will have a front door, but it will have a back door that's double the size. People want to be loved. And the reason why I believe this church is growing, one of the key reasons is is that you want to be a lover of people. Now, that doesn't mean we'll be perfect at it. That doesn't mean there won't be struggles along the way. But God is calling Village Bible Church to be a place that loves believers. Next we see that the church in Acts tells us that we need to have a greater concern for sinners. A greater concern for sinners. Look at verse 40 and 41. Peter pleads with many words and he warns them. He says, save yourself from this corrupt generation. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. It says in verse 47, kind of bookends this whole little passage. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We as elders are excited to see that the church is growing. We're excited to talk about how the new building is going to attract even more people. But I will tell you something that we want to see more of. And that is people being added to the number of Christians in this place. We want to see souls saved. Now, it doesn't have to just happen here in the auditorium. But we want to see people inviting their unbelieving friends and neighbors to things like the Super Bowl party and women's retreats. We want to see them invited to be a part of Vacation Bible School. We want to see people not only brought to those things, but we want to see you invite people to engage with Jesus. We want to see conversion growth. Not just growth numerically, but we want to see this family of God grow. We want to see it in the conversions of your children. One of the greatest natural outreaches we have as parents is to reach the lost ones in our own family, those that are part of our household. We need to reach out to them. And we need to encourage and and help parents train up childs well that they will accept Jesus Christ when they come to a knowledge of Him. That's what we want to pursue. The church at Acts saw numbers daily being saved. I've told you before that I don't like that we have uh, the baptismal closed. Because a church like the book of Acts never closed the baptism. Why? Because every week there was someone being baptized. That's where I want to be. I want us to have yellow tape around it say that don't fall in because we've got to keep it open all the time. Because we don't know when someone's going to come to know Christ and have to baptize them so that we can publicly profess their salvation. We need to be a church that has a greater concern for the sinners around us. Do we believe that the world is lost without a Savior? Do we believe that that Savior, Jesus Christ, is the only answer to their pain and their troubles and their issue with sin? Do we believe that the Gospel is able to radically change lives? If we preach that, and if we proclaim that, and amen it as a people, then live it out on Monday through Friday, and tell your neighbors, your workers, your friends, about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim the Gospel. That's what they did in Acts. Next we see that there was a commitment to Scripture. A commitment to Scripture. Luke tells us that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The idea here very quickly is is that they were focused on the Word. They had a hunger for the Word. They were dedicated to it. Now while I believe that we as a church have put a heavy emphasis on the Word of God, we make sure we preach the Word. We make sure we teach the Word. We make sure we sing the Word. We make sure we read the Word. All those things are true of us as a corporate body. 
But the question we must ask is, not are we doing a good job with that as a church, but are we doing that as a good, a good job as individuals? I want you to question in your hearts this morning, do I have a commitment to the Holy Scriptures? Do I have a commitment to God's Word? Am I opening it up during the week? Am I reading it? Am I applying it to my life? Am I praying it back to God? I will tell you there are many churches that have abandoned good, strong uh, theology and doctrine. And they've taken the Bible and they've made it less than the hymnal in many churches. And you say, why? Why would a church do that? Churches have gone liberal. I will tell you it is not churches that go liberal. In fact, it is not churches that make people liberal. People make churches liberal. And when you as a congregation, as individuals, begin to allow the Word of God to become less and less of a focus, then you will find yourself in a church that has made the Bible less of their focus. It is about us taking the Word of God and making it a vibrant part of our lives. We need to be committed to it. The Sunday morning experience should be one that is about Christians coming together and articulating not what the Bears did last Sunday. And I'm a Bears fan, but it's not about that. It is about going and saying, let me share with you what God taught me in His Word this week. Let me share with you what I've learned about our Lord and Savior. How do you gauge that? What are you talking about with other Christians? What are you talking about in your small groups? If it's about everything else in the world, then you're missing it. It should be about what God is teaching you and how He's growing you. That should be the first thing that we discuss as Christians. Next, we need conviction in the sanctuary. We need a conviction in the sanctuary. What I mean by this is there needs to be a greater elevation to our aspect of worship as a flock. And I don't just mean worship as singing, but our corporate time of coming together and praising the name of Jesus, whether it's uh, greeting one another, whether it's uh, fellowshipping with one another, whether it's listening to the Word being proclaimed or singing or praying, whatever it is, we need to have more conviction. We need to have a greater desire, a greater pursuit. Now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers, and it's not of our visitors, but this is something we need to change in this church. And I've preached about it numerous times, and I'm just going to get more and more upset about it as I go. We don't have a conviction about worship. Worship should be something that we make a priority every Sunday. One of the greatest priorities we should have as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, is to get together with God's people. So we set up 9.30 as our Sunday morning service time. And we don't have many people here at 9.30. That tells me something. You can give excuse after excuse, and that's great. It's not a priority. Now, you could say that's legalism. I've got all the grace in my heart. I love every one of you. But I have to, I'm charged as the preacher of this church to proclaim when we're missing the mark. We need to be here for worship. Not part of worship, but all of worship. We need to be here to prepare our hearts. It's not good enough just to run in after yelling at your kids and your wife telling you how long you dressed on a given Sunday to come in and say, I'm ready, worship team. Now, bless my heart. It begins with preparation. And preparation doesn't begin at 8.30 on Sunday morning. I will tell you part of the reason why we struggle with the priority of being here on Sunday or being here on time is that we're not preparing on Saturday night. That the focus on Saturday night, whether it's hanging out or watching movies or going out for dinner, is a greater priority that we stay up late and do things on Saturday night than all of a sudden Sunday rolls around and we're not ready. We're tired. The kids' stuff isn't around. And so what happens? It takes us four hours instead of the half an hour it should have taken us to get things ready because we're not prepared. 
Do you spend time on Saturday night getting your heart ready, saying, I am ready to receive from you, Jesus? There's only one time a week that we can come together and worship God. Is it a priority? They got together day in and day out. Not just one time a week. They would laugh at us if they said, oh, this is how you guys get together. You kind of just meander your way through. Every day they got together in the temple courts and they praised God. It's about having conviction about being here. But it's not just that, because once we get here, we have to have a heart that's ready to receive. We have to have a heart that is excited. Do you come with anticipation in your heart saying, am I, am I ready to do what the Lord says? Am I ready to accomplish what He has? My heart's desire is not just to give you information. My desire as a preacher is to be fired up and to proclaim the Word of God. Not so you say, oh, I learned a little more from the book of Acts and now I'm a better Christian. But that we would get fired up about Jesus Christ and His Word and walk out of this place completely changed. I'm changed when I preach messages. I'm changed because I've gotten into the Word and I've applied it. That's why you hear a lot of incredibly dumb stories about my own life. I tell you those stories to say, be encouraged that we're not going to have it all put together, that we're not always going to have a righteous week, that we're going to fall to sin. And I preach those messages with passion so that you will get fired up, that I'll wake you up from your slumber from the weekend. That's my heart's desire. And that's what we should have, a pursuit for a greater growing conviction about what happens in this place. Next we see... I don't know where I'm at in my notes. Uh, Next we see a confession of sin, I believe. Is that the next one? Yes, confession of sin. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Commentators say that what was involved in this was something we don't see in the local church today, and that is confession of sin. Commentators say that confession was a key priority to the church in the book of Acts. I will tell you, this is something that not only the evangelical world struggles with, but we as a church struggle with. I will tell you that from an outsider's point of view, there are very few sinners in our midst. From an outsider's point of view, it looks like we've got everything all put together. It seems that we've got all our lusts and all our passions and all our selfish desires under control. And I would believe that statement to be true because I see little accountability going on in the lives of people in this church. So that must be the case, that we have it all put together. Well, I will tell you something, that I'm the wrong guy to be preaching on Sunday mornings because my life is full of fight after fight for sin. And I've been told by people, people that preach in other places that have gotten a hold of my CDs or listened to them on the website, they say, you're too transparent about your sin. Don't talk about your sin. I say, if I don't talk about my sin, then they're not going to talk about their sin. And something we need to grab a hold of is that we need to confess. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. There There are marriages here that are falling because of sin in the lives of the couple. There are issues of sin in the lives of children that aren't obeying their parents. There are issues of lust and greed and materialism and idolatry. We've got them all listed here, folks. Every sin you can think of, I am almost positive, are represented in a life here today. And the Scripture says one is not greater than the other. But we don't hear about that. So what do we do? We walk in and we say, man, this is a great place. Everybody's got it together. And the one that is struggling that says, I want to confess it, looks around and says, who do I confess to? They all look too perfect. 
We went on a men's retreat back in November. And we heard from man after man saying, I struggle with this, that, and the other, but I think everybody else has got it all put together. Once and for all, let the church know that we're a group of sinners saved by grace who need the grace of God in their lives. And if we lose track of that, we become a spiritual country club instead of a hospital and a shelter that changes and radically moves people from sin. I will tell you that I struggle with sin. Don't be afraid to share that. There are days where I find great victory in my battle against sin, and there are days where I find ugly defeat one after another. And I have the great luxury of having some men and a wife that I am held accountable to, that I go to and say, I am able freely to say in any area of defeat, I fell in this way. Do you? It's not just for the preacher or the elders. It's for all of us that we may grow and be able to change one another's lives, to move from the darkness of sin. It means fathers telling your sons about the struggles you have. It's about mothers telling your daughters how to live holy and devout lives that please the Father. It is about older men teaching younger men. It's about, and I will use this word softly, older women teaching younger women how to be righteous and to be great wives and great mothers. We need to be a people who mentor one another to holiness. If we miss it, then we forget anything that God would want for us. Finally, we see a commitment to service. When we look at the church of Acts, we see one of great service. We see teaching, giving, outreach, care, service, prayer, leadership, encouragement, mercy. And all of that is needed in the church. There is not one single ministry in our church that I would say does not need people to serve. We need people in every area of ministry whether it's the nursery to hold the babies, whether it's helping in a a weekly night activity for children, whether it's helping today as I'm preaching in the children's worship, whether it's helping Mario in the junior high and senior high and post-high school age groups to be able to be a minister and help in that way, to be those that will be teachers and equippers, to teach the adults, to teach men, to teach women, to teach children. We need people that are working behind the scenes, doing refreshments, working in the office during the week, putting together things that need to be done that maybe don't happen on the front stage. We need people on the worship team. We need instrumentalists. We need every area, and we need help. Not just to do the things that we want to get done that we've already claimed that we're going to do, but there is a list of things that I know are in the hearts of people that people want to be a part of. We need a greater emphasis on evangelism. We need an evangelism team that will go and help us begin to coordinate outreach events. We need a prayer team that will come together and begin to help teach and to coordinate opportunities for prayer. The elders are but six men. They can't do everything. Our job is to equip the saints for the works of service. Who does the ministry? You do. And we help you all along the way. And I will tell you, if you've got an idea for ministry, if you've got a heart for a ministry, you come to your leadership and you tell them, we will be more than happy to walk through you to give you whatever resources are needed to accomplish the work of the gospel in your area of passion. We need a commitment to service. The old adage, I don't know if it's true at Village, but that 20% does 80% of the work. Are you a part of the 20% or are you a part of the 80%? If there's that adage is true, there's something wrong. I will tell you, God has got us at the cusp of a great new awakening in this church. I believe with all my heart that God is preparing us for something awesome in this place. 
But how do we begin to get there? Now we've looked at some areas of growth. I want to look at one final thing, and I'm going to close this, and it won't be too long, so stick with me. I want us to look at finally reaching towards the elements, reaching towards the elements that allow for a powerful year. We can improve all our different things, make sure our stationery looks just right and the sign gets up and it's a, you know, a better and cleaner sign than we had before and we can get a new building and that will look perfect and look all brand new and it'll be three and a half, four times the size of the old place and we can say, well, that's what you do. And that's what a lot of churches do these days. They say, put up a nice building, make sure you sound good, look good, and everybody will say they feel good. I will tell you it's more than that. We are not about image here. We are about the changing of lives. How do we begin to do that? Well, there's some things we need to have. First of all, there needs to be an acknowledgement. An acknowledgement. Write that down. We need to acknowledge that without God, we can do nothing. We need to acknowledge that without God meeting us in this place, meeting us in this hour, that anything that we plan will be for naught unless we acknowledge that God is the giver of all life, that God is the giver of all good ideas, that God is the giver of all power and strength that we need to accomplish what He has given us. That must be our drive. It must be that we acknowledge God as, if you will, the senior pastor of this church. He's our chief shepherd. He's the one that the word goes out from Him and we move forward. It is not about Tim. It is not about the elders. It is not about the staff. It's not about the deacons. It is about what God wants. We serve an audience of one. Secondly, it involves an awareness. Are your eyes open to the harvest fields? Are your eyes open to the world of hurt? Do you see the lack of workers? Are you engaged in your world? Are you a friend to lost sinners and lovers of the lost? If we're not, then we cease to become the church that God has called us to be. There must be an awareness of the people that come into this place. When you look around, you say, well, there's a lot more people in this church than there was a year ago. Do you know them? Have you involved? You don't, we may not even know if they're believers or not. Don't expect every person that comes in here to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God may be moving you to share the gospel with them. Make sure that there is an understanding of who we need to reach out to. There needs to be an attention. Very quickly, are we holding fast to the principles found in Scripture? Are we pursuing the works of service that God has called His children to be a part of? Do we remember what Christ did for us? Do we remember where Christ took us from? Do we know that we are, we're dead, blind, and held captive by the evil one? That we were hostile towards God and out of His great love and mercy, He came and rescued us from a life of sin and has placed us not as a slave but as children, heirs with Christ, heirs to the Father. And because of that, out of a life of gratitude and a life of thanksgiving, we should be serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, each day, praising His name. Do you have that idea of attention in your life? Do you remember who you've been and where you've been called from? Finally, there needs to be advancement. There needs to be an advancement. Are we the church, the army that God has called us to? As a little boy, we used to sing a song, Onward Christian Soldiers. We don't use that terminology anymore. I don't know why. We are an army that is bombarding the gates of hell. And the question is, are we effectively doing that? Is your presence in your neighborhood changing your neighborhood? Is your presence in this church changing the church for the good? Is the presence of this church changing the community around us? I hope so. 
And I hope that now, more than ever, we will pursue an advancement like that. That each and every day that we come together, that more and more will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, you say, Tim, where's the vision in all this? I didn't hear about the building. I didn't hear about this new ministry or that new ministry. Let me tell you, and hold your Bibles and your books for a second before you put this down. Vision is not about a man. Vision is not about the elder board. Vision is about us getting right with God and calling out to Almighty God and making sure that we humble ourselves before that God. And what does God do? He opens the floodgates. When we humble ourselves and we pray and we pursue Jesus Christ, that's when the vision comes. And it doesn't come from just one. It comes from all of us. Because what God begins to do is He begins to allow you to see your world in a different way. It allows you to see doing church maybe in a different way. It allows you to see excellence in ministries in a different way. And so what happens is when we humble ourselves and do what God has called us to, He says that He will open the door so that ministry will go forth. That's the vision. The vision is get right with God. The vision is as a corporate body, let's do what God has called us to do. Let's be who God has called us to be. And as a result of that, let God be the one who guides us. He guided the Israelites through the uh, wilderness as they wandered. And He brought them to a place flowing with milk and honey. I believe the same is true for us. Even though we sin, even though we fall, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And we humble ourselves. God says, I will open the door and Village Bible Church will have an impact like never before. That may mean that we don't add anybody to the church. And we may do a ministry out to the far stretches of Africa. We don't know what God may call us to. But we need to be faithful and continue to preach His Word and sing His praises and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, no matter what we did in 2006, it will not compare to what will happen in the years to come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You and we praise You. And Lord, I thank You for a church that desires to be to have the Word of God taught, to have the Word of God uh, passionately proclaimed. And Father, I pray that as we go forth from this place, that we will begin to do an evaluation in this new year about our place in the mission for the Gospel of Christ. Father, I pray for those that have recently come on board with us and and are joining us each and every week. And Father, I pray that from the grace and the love that they see in this place, that they will come and feel compelled to get involved. Father, we need every person using their spiritual gifts. So, Father, I pray that there will be a resurgence of individuals coming and saying, I want to help. I want to get involved. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Father, I pray for our world around us. And, Lord, we live in a clean-cut, suburban-type society where all the problems are inside. They're put away. And, Father, I pray for the issues and the struggles that are facing our own people today. The issues of marriage, the issues of children, the issues of lust and pride and all the sins that we've talked about in times past. And Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves and come before a people and confess our sin one to another. Father, we are a sinful people and we need your help. And Lord, I pray that as the world sees that, as a broken, as a world that sees that it has a need, that it will not try to fill it in with the counterfeit things of this world, but it will see Christians in their neighborhood and in their workplaces that aren't perfect, but have found forgiveness of sin. And Lord, that that would draw them to Yourself. Lord, we are hungry to reach the lost. And it's not something we just want to preach on Sunday mornings, but in the supermarkets, in the restaurants, in our schools, that we would proclaim Your name powerfully to those around us. 
Father, that you would use us to be a nursery of new believers, to grow them in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we do this, Father, is to give you glory. To you be glory. To you be honored. Let your name be magnified in the Sugar Grove community and throughout the uttermost parts of the world that you would be honored in all that we do. That when people see us, they will proclaim your goodness to all of us. And Father, that they would come and ask questions about who this Jesus is. This Jesus that has come and radically changed our lives. Father, make us a new people. Change us even now by the working of your Holy Spirit to allow us to do even greater works for you that you promised as you were leaving your disciples so that we will give you glory on the day that you come. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.